Let's see. Da, da, da. Oh, yeah, there was the Infinity War trailer. Sick. Plenty to say about that. Yeah? I mean... You're like, I hated stuff. it! There's a lot... Yeah, yeah. Fuck all this Avengers bullshit! Yeah. I mean, there there is a little bit of that. Um, yeah? Which is like... You know, this would have been a lot more meaningful three years ago. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, like... And Marvel's done such a piss poor job of keeping continuity up between all their films. You know? Yeah, that's Where, true. Okay, I was watching yesterday. I was watching Civil War. Yeah, uh, and they like the, the 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 timeline from Civil War because really what, what happens is that um, Spider-Man: Homecoming yeah. totally fucks the timeline. Oh yeah, because it's it's like you know in 2012 or whatever, right after the incident, you have Michael Keaton cleaning up uh, cleaning yeah. up the trash, and then it flashes forward to two years later. And it's so that's 2014, right? But then it's so like it's 2014 and it's post Civil War. So then that means Civil War happens in between 2012 and 2014. But then in Civil War, they say, they say, aren't you the one who a few years ago told the government to screw themselves, referring to Winter Soldier? It's like a few years ago. When the fuck did that? Like, what? How does any of this add? I don't. I don't. Yeah, that, the 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 year stuff and the sliding timeline doesn't bother me so much. But really? Yeah, because it's like whatever. It's comics. Okay. You know? But uh, which part of it bothers it's you? It's more like the like oh, this person at the end of this movie, like Tony Stark healed himself and like said, "I'm done being," you know, that's true. Iron Man. And then it's like, nope, he's been back and bigger than ever. Yeah, you know? he's it's been like, more megalomaniac than ever. Yeah. Yeah. I and that dude, I loved Iron Man 3. Like it got a lot of hate, but I actually really liked that movie for what yeah. it did with Tony Stark's character. And then yeah, just like Joss Whedon just immediately like abandoned well, there's it. A, and there's a lot of that like between movies where it's just like okay, yeah. I, I guess so. <laughs> I guess this will work. Yeah. Yeah, man. You know, but you know honestly like the the thing that frustrates me the most. Um, like Spider-Man said no to the costume, but now <laughs> I guess we're supposed to cheer that he's wearing this costume. I guess, yeah, we're supposed and, to cheer that he's wearing the And like in the trailer he's like, "Hey, I'm Peter Parker to Doctor Strange." And it's like, <laughs> "Wait a minute, shouldn't he be protective of his identity?" Um like but I guess he didn't have an Uncle Ben, so I don't really know if yeah. that matters. When there's when there's no Uncle Ben, there's no uh, protection of the secret identity. And if there's no Spider-Man secret identity, like, is he really Spider-Man still? <laughs> I, I don't really know. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, honestly, the, do you know the biggest thing that bugs me about all those timelines? Uh, yeah, what? The Savage Land. Welcome back to the Savage Land. I'm Jason, and today we uh, we have a little special episode. Um, we got we got a buddy coming in from from out of town. He's he's uh, called in sick from the Daily Bugle and uh, decided to join us here today. It is Dan Gavazdin from Amazing Spider Talk. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, I've wanted to do this for a while. I know we've we've uh, we met like probably almost a year ago at this point. And then bumped into each other at several conventions. Yeah, just yeah, randomly. that's true. Yeah, that's funny. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a thing that's uh, that I've wanted to to make happen for a while to get you on the show. And like, there's just it's it's always been a thing where I'm like, ah, oh, shoot, like I, I just thought of it now, and we have to record like tomorrow. I probably shouldn't reach out and ask him. And then this week it was like, okay, I have to have an episode. Matt and Rachel are gone. 
and it's I'm still going to ask him for the next day. It's going to be just as rude, but this time it's more necessary. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad you were able to, to make a last-minute thing happen. You gave me 24 hours. That's about like 23 <laughs> hours more notice than most people do. That's true. I've, I've had that experience. When we were doing um, the Living Dead Minute uh, as part of the you know Movies by Minutes thing, um, so many of those people, like we would kind of pull from other Minute by Minute podcasts uh, to, to kind of get guests. And so many of those shows, they'd ask me like a day before, like, hey, do you want to spend four hours tomorrow recording a week's worth of episodes? <laughs> Not really. But sure, I'll come on and talk about my problems with Zack Snyder on a podcast that's very pro Zack Snyder. <laughs> Oops. Dude, I got so much Twitter hate. I went on a Man of Steel podcast and talked about how much I hated Zack Snyder's characterization of Pa Kent and Ma Kent. Oh, read the room. <sighs> yeah. Read the room. I, like, I was getting tweets for like... A month afterwards, just constantly like berating me for what I was saying. But whatever. do you want to hear a funny Man of Steel uh, please, story? Please. So, um, you know, I uh, my main profession, I guess, as until recently, was as a professional film critic. Okay. And uh, you know, before I had any like real credentials, mm-hmm. like now I write for the Hollywood Reporter and the Village Voice and the LA Weekly. Yeah. But when I lived in Maryland, it was a little harder to kind of like break into that scene. I'm it's sure. Such a smaller scene. Yeah. And, um, you know, I went out for ice cream one night in Annapolis, Maryland, our, our beautiful capital. It's not Baltimore. It's Annapolis. Is it? Yes. I it, didn't even know that. It is oh. true. And um, uh, so I went out for ice cream mm-hmm. and there sitting on one of the tables in the ice cream parlor were two tickets for uh, a press screening of Man of Steel. Okay. So I picked them up and I said, are these anyone's? And nobody responded. And this is a small ice cream yeah. place. So I like asked everybody in there. They're like, no. And I was like, Okay. These are now my huh, press credentials. Yeah. Hell yeah. So, I, you know, I didn't have, I wasn't invited, but I went anyway. Of and there was no stipulation on the, you know, early screening that, uh, you know, don't, you know, this is the embargo date. Don't da 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 da. So you just so wrote I a went, review right away. And I wrote a review of the movie that night and had the first published review of Man of Steel. Wow. And I, it was my small little blog. So I thought, eh, nobody's going to really see this. Yeah. It's just kind of for me. You know, but then it blew up. Someone posted it on Reddit and overnight it was and it was like a lukewarm take. Like, yeah. like I like that movie more than most people. Yeah, I agree. And, I agree uh, you know, and I thought I was pretty even handed about it. So I was like, oh, cool. I'm getting like one hundred and fifty thousand unique views on my yeah. review that would normally get like one hundred and fifty. Yeah, that's <laughs> unique amazing. Reviews. And then I got contacted by Warner Brothers publicity oh. department in several strongly worded emails I'm that were sure. like, please take this down in, in less fond words. Yeah. And I said, you know, I didn't sign anything. Yeah. I didn't sneak in. I just found early, you know, there were a bunch of people from the public there yeah. because, you know, like press screenings, they have people that win tickets, et cetera. Of course, yeah. And I didn't sit in like the press rows or anything like that. Yeah. And I said, well, here's the deal. I'll take it down if you guys give me press credentials and invite me to all of the Hell like, yeah. future Q&As and Hell events. Yeah. And they were like, okay, we'll do whatever you want. Baller. Take it down. Fuck so yeah. I took it down. <laughs> and um, then I started getting invited to things. So I like went on like a yeah. pub crawl with like Edgar Wright and all those guys from uh, you know uh, end, yeah. the end of the world and uh, all that stuff. And it was really amazing. So anyway. That's amazing. Man of Steel, a That's... little trickery and some blackmail of I major like players at Warner Brothers will get you far. Dan's, Dan's showing his, his Machiavellian tendencies. I actually, <laughs> I, I, I've definitely uh, taken that approach to a few things before. I currently own the Batman movie.com. 
Oh yeah. And I'm, you know, it's like I'm I'm waiting for the day when finally Matt Reeves goes into production on that movie when Warner Brothers is like, "Hey, we need this website." I'm like, "Do you? How bad do you need it? Let's <laughs> let, let's talk what you can do for me." Uh, yeah, it's I, I. How is that not available? How is that available? Right? <laughs> I don't know. I I even owned um before Spider-Man: Homecoming's title uh was announced, I owned um. Spectacular Spider-Man movie.com uh, and like a, f- a couple of others that I had bought just to like see. And then they announced the title and I was like, So right, you're the it. one that's the reason why we got that kind of silly Spider-Man homecoming name. <laughs> yeah, they looked at the websites and they were like, oh, can't call it that. This um, guy, Jason, he's such a Jason. jerk. We know yeah. he's, we're on to him. He's going to be asking for millions and we're not going to spend it. Um, no, that, that's the thing is, well, actually, I'm not, I'm not going to name my price on, on the air. I'll let them decide what, right, what my right, price is. Um, probably lower than you would name. Probably. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, anyway, um, this episode, before, uh, before we get into it, this episode is brought to you by Comic Bento. Uh, have you have you ever heard of Comic Bento, Dan? Uh, I have not. Oh, you know they're the they're the boxes that come with stuff stuffed in them. They they, they are the boxes that come with uh, just comics stuffed into them for this. They, oh, they're not hey. messing around with no Funko Pops. They're not they're not trying to inundate you with posters and keychains. They're just straight comics. Oh, good because I I definitely have too many of those Funko Pop <laughs> things. It's like, what obscure character do I need yeah. now? Oh, I know. I saw like I I haven't been tempted to buy Funko Pops in like years. And then uh, I was walking into a Barnes and Noble the other day, and I saw a Prince Robot from uh, Saga. Oh, but they had wow. Funko Pops of him, and I was like, "Oh, that's tempting!" Like, there's so little Saga merchandise out there that I'm like, mm, "Maybe that is interesting." Yeah. Hmm. Um, anyway, uh, each month Comic Bento does a, a different theme for their boxes. So all four or five of the trade paperbacks that are in the box kind of fit along with in in, in one theme. Um, and March's theme is uh, going digital, Dan. So plug in your USBs, fire up your modems, and get your circuit boards installed because Comic Bento is going digital. Uh, all of the books in this collection feature stories of technology and how it enhances, changes, and in some cases, tries to eradicate life. I was thinking that you just open it and it would be a USB in there, and it's like just a USB. Just, just download your comics now. And you're download like, them. Everything's digital. Wait a minute. There's got to be a better way to do this. <laughs> Nope, the only the only way to get digital comics is to is to mail a USB in a box. Yeah. That's how I've always gotten them. Uh but make sure you log on, sign up, and get yourself a going digital comic bento. Uh but hurry, we will pull the plug on this box at eleven fifty nine PM Eastern Standard Time on March thirty first. Uh so make sure you go to comicbento.com and use the promo code Savage to get five dollars off that box. Uh it's comicbento.com, promo code Savage, you'll get five dollars off the first box. That's an average of $5 per trade paperback or less, um, which is insanely low. So go and do it fast because, you know, time's running out. Yeah. Uh, Dan, before the, there's, a lot, there's a lot of stuff I want to ask you. But uh, before we get into that, I think we should, we should do a little catch up here. Uh, what, what you been reading this week? What you been reading, watching, all that stuff lately? Yeah, well, um, you know, I, uh, people who don't know me, I, I run a podcast called The Amazing Spider Talk. It's yes, a, do. All about Spider-Man, as you m- might guess. It's a fantastic show. I was just listening to uh, to season two, episode three, uh, The Coffee Bean. Oh, yes. All about uh, Stan Lee and John Romita and uh, the, the origins of The Coffee Bean, as well as Harry, Harry Osborne's friendship with Peter and them moving into the apartment together. Oh, yeah. Stuff, we, yeah. We're discussing right now. We do these seasons, and right now we're discussing the John Romita Sr. and Stan Lee run. And so each episode is like a... 
discussion based on, I guess, an important element from the run. Yeah. And of some kind. And we, you know, we just had Jerry Conway on our last episode. Which is fucking awesome. Yeah. He's, he's a big, uh, well, he's been on our show four times now, so that's sick. very strange to say it because I remember the first time he came on, my host and I were like, "Oh my god, can you believe we're getting Jerry Conway yeah. on the show? We're so excited!" Now we're like, "Wow, oh, Jerry, he's an oh, old friend." Jer. Yeah, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, thanks for listening. But um, so most of my reading habits are really centered around Spider-Man and of getting course. kind of like up to date for my show because yeah. we're trying to get all the history as accurate as possible. Yeah. Um, so I've been reading, reading a lot of John Romita Sr. and Stan Lee's run and associated books so. like the uh, Spectacular Spider-Man magazine okay. from that era. Um, but in terms of modern comics, I, I have been reading Amazing Spider-Man, which we also cover all the modern comics. And mm. we're doing the Go Down Swingin' okay. uh, uh, arc, on the, which is Dan Slott's final arc on the book. Yeah. Um, and he's partnered with Stuart Eminent. And, and boy, I mean... There's Eminem. no better artist in comics than Stuart Eminem, I, I, I would venture. Really? Uh, I, I definitely think he's one of the best. I, I, I haven't really thought about who I think my favorite artist, in, or who I think the best artist in comics is, rather, but Stuart Eminem is damn good. He's a chameleon. He can adapt yeah. to any style, even within the same book. Like I don't know if you're reading Amazing Spider-Man right I now. I haven't been. Uh, yeah. I, I'm definitely less of a... like it's. I, I'm a big Spider-Man fan, but I've always been kind of at that point where I'm like, I do not know what to read with Spider-Man, you know? I was always more of a DC kid and Batman kid. Sure. And so Batman's the one that I keep up on, and then Spider-Man, it's like, I kind of, I keep up with what's going on in Spider-Man, uh, but I haven't I haven't read a Spider-Man issue in a little while. Well, you should listen to our show and get caught up. There we go. And we have a series on our show called The Essentials, okay. where we chose 30 books for people who want to know everything about Spider-Man. Really? And go and read those books. That is perfect so for a guy you, like me. So there you go. And then you can have a discussion with us about what you read, and, yeah. and you'll feel like a part of the, na- the na- friendly neighborhood, if you Absolutely. will. Absolutely. Uh, I, I know a lot of our <laughs> listeners are, are kind of casual fans and stuff, so I'm sure there's a lot of people who will go and check out those Essentials episodes. Well, cool. Cool. Yeah, they're some of my favorites, and we choose some controversial picks uh, that got my co-host and I fighting over, really? over the picks. Yeah, oh, you know, because once you get to 30 books, yeah. 10 books you can do, but once you get to 30, you're like, okay, let's go someplace weird. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but anyway, uh, uh, I, I can't say enough about Stuart Eminem yeah. on this latest book because, you know, you've got in this book – the. Uh, Norman Osborn has mm-hmm. tr- is trying to get back his powers of the Green Goblin, which he lost yeah. through various means. <laughs> it's comics, yeah, and uh, and he decides to put on the Carnage symbiote. Yeah, and so now he's the Red Goblin, this extra insane, murderous, yeah. powerful guy. And this book will go from a scene with Spider Man where he's saving people, whatever, to this like terrifying scene with Norman Osborn and. Eminem just shrugs it off like it's nothing. Yeah, like com- two completely different comic styles. Yeah, I, I, that's I'm amazing. So, I'm so impressed by it. Um, I like him. I'm trying to think the last thing I read with Eminem. Oh, it was um, Empress, the the Mark Miller comic. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, that was he. He killed it on that. And you're right. I mean, his style definitely it shifts a lot from from book to book. Oh sure. yeah. I mean, have you read? Um, uh, Next wave agents of hate. Uh, that's been on my list for so long. Who wrote? Was that Warren Ellis? Uh huh. Yeah. And his car, his stuff there is like really cartoony and very different. And so it's cool. like, who is this guy? Yeah. Um, I had the chance to interview him and his wife on our show a while back. Oh yeah. And uh, the interesting thing about them made it difficult to interview is that they 
like live in a cabin in the woods that has no internet connectivity. So I just imagine they're there producing incredible artwork. Yeah. And the what they do is they drive into town and scan the artwork and send it to Marvel. Huh. And then they go back out to their cabin. They're just not connected to really? any way. They're just these kind of like comic artists in the That's middle of nowhere. You know, uh, I thought it was so interesting. Now, does she, because I, I know they've worked together for a long time. Does Catherine ink or color? What, what's She does all different things. They all kind of, she also writes books too. Uh, yeah, yeah. And um, I think, yeah, I think she tends to do less of the artistry stuff and more of writing. Oh, and maybe like okay. inks and colors to fill in yeah, yeah. For, for Stuart. Um, but she's kind of been dipping her hand, you know, her hand into... Uh, dipping her toes, rather. Mm. I don't know who's dipping their hand, but I dip my the, hands. Dipping their toes, dipping her toes into writing more often. Than yeah, that yeah. Now I think interesting. Uh, I'm not as up on her as I am on him, which yeah. is a shame because she, you know, I'm sure is an integral part to the art team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really that's really cool. I've I've always there's like that part of me that fantasizes about like living offline, you know. Oh yeah. But then at the same time, I know I couldn't do it. Like you know, <laughs> I would break so fast. I mean, I, I got to be honest. Like talking to them about this really like opened up a new world for me yeah. i was like oh that sounds so great yeah uh except i'm like i'm not an artist like Stuart no, yeah. is. Not and all. uh there's a reason he can survive doing that because he knows he's in su- such demand so, yeah, yeah so here's the deal we got to create demand for these there we go. uh wireless podcasts <laughs> Um, yeah. I don't know what you would call them. I guess like theater uh, uh, com- discussing comics. Yeah, yeah, um, the, yeah. The 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 analog version of podcasts. It would just yeah, it would just be a, a, a live. We'll performance. just drive into town and, and upload our podcast, and then <laughs> retreat then go back into to the woods, our cabin. Yeah. yeah, record a week's worth of podcasts in a cabin. Yeah. Although that that's the thing though, without the internet, you'd run out of things. Well, actually, I guess actually with your show, considering it's it's a lot of it's like going from history and stuff that's already there. I guess you wouldn't necessarily need the internet for. Yeah, tons of your show. Except well, for like I mean, the research stuff. is really helpful. But that's true. Yeah. yeah, I own every issue of Spider-Man, so like that helps because I that can, helps like, a lot through them. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, especially because some of the digital resources they'll change things. Yeah, um, like coloring or even just like little words will be different. Yeah, um, like stuff that's really inexplicable. Uh, um, yeah, because the writers they'll do a like the the writers and artists even will do like another pass before it comes out in trades, and so I know like the recent example that I that I thought of a lot was um, Scott Snyder's Batman. The the trades on on that run differed pretty far from uh, from what they were in single issues. Really? Yeah, just in terms of like uh, phrasing and like there were a couple of times where like uh, Capullo I think would like redraw a panel or two. That's truly bizarre. I had yeah. no idea. Yeah. It's super weird for such a celebrated run. You'd think it would just kind of be like print yeah. and then that's, just keep it. Yeah. that's it. No, he was, he was like neurotic cause something would come out and then he'd like see a typo or like see a phrase or something like that. That he was like, Oh, I wish I had written it this way. And so he'd be like, okay, I'm just going to change it for the trade. <laughs> Posterity remembers it more fondly or something. I don't know. That's so funny. Yeah. I just, uh, like last week on my show had this guy, Chris Baker on who, mm. He does like he worked on a bunch of Spider-Man video games mm-hmm. in like writing and um, like asset management, making sure that the characters are presented the right way. Yeah, you know, according to the comics. And he was telling me that in the Maximum Carnage series and game, like mm-hmm. the game reproduced panels from the series, but they changed it because in the comic it's like "damn you to hell," <laughs> but in the game it's just like. Uh, they replaced hell with something less religiously, huh. uh, like overtly religious. Interesting. So it's like, damn you to 
I don't know where else he would damn you to. Cleveland. Cleveland. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. Uh, yeah, they're they're known for their yeah. Uh, secularism. And, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just the uh, earthly equivalent of hell. Yeah. So, uh, and it's like I guess the point was to avoid these kind of like biblical huh. allusions. Odd. You know, weird things in video yeah. games. Well, what are you going to do? That's so strange. So anyway, you- that's one issue I've been reading. <laughs> <laughs> have you Have you been enjoying Dan Slott's uh, Spider Man? Are you a big fan of it? It's up and down. Um, You know, we review all the issues in the book. There were large stretches of it where I was like, this might be the worst long run on Spider-Man ever with with some real highlights. I think Superior Spider-Man was a blast. It didn't end the way I wanted it to, but I I don't think I've ever been more invested in the moment-to-moment reading of the character. Yeah. Um, But I think large parts of Volume 3, mainly Volume 3, were... Amongst the worst Spider-Man mm. stories I've ever read, um, and parts of Volume Four were very frustrating. And I, mm-hmm. I feel like he's very dependent on his artist yeah. uh, to make him feel comfortable as a writer. Every issue with Eminem is A plus writing and art. Yeah. But then you'll get a fill-in, like uh, we had a fill-in issue with Mike Hawthorne mm-hmm. just like a week before, and it was like this is some of the clumsiest Spider-Man writing I've ever yeah. read. And you're like, how does a guy go from a to Z, yeah. you know, within the span of an issue. Yeah. Um, I think Dan Slott is a really good at, like, towing the party line. Like, he's very good at, if the editors say, we need to do this crossover, make it work. Yeah. And he says yes. He's, like, a good yes man in that yeah. regard. And I don't mean that as, like, a negative thing. It takes a real skilled writer to, to be kind able to of, adjust to that. Yeah, yeah, to make it work and plan. And he really thinks long term. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of his storylines have been really crippled as a result of editorial interference, which anybody who reads Marvel will understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, But like when he's allowed to do his thing, and this is all speculation on my part, I think his stuff is really good. He struggles with some characters. I don't think he can write a convincing Mary Jane. Interesting. um, Or a likable Mary Jane. (laughs) Um, And I think he struggles with Peter sometimes. But his, you know, Dr. Octopus during Superior was. Yeah. Uh, every page was exciting. Um, mm-hmm. He has problems with consistency and rules, and a lot of times his stories feel like they're they were invented as a kind of beats that he then has to work his way to. Mm-hmm. So characters make really inorganic decisions mm-hmm. uh, that make you want to hit your head into a table. Yeah, um, I both love so many of his stories, and so many of his other stories make me want to quit reading Spider Man. <laughs> Um, it's hard for me to really say. I mean, he's definitely leaving a legacy. He's written so many issues and, um, I'm so eager to move on to someone else just because 10 years is a long time to read any one voice, you know, um, even I'll talk about invincible, but like, that's one of my favorite Mm -hmm. comics ever. But, you know, I was kind of ready to see it go. Like I felt like Kirkman had explored a lot of what he wanted to explore in that. And, um, it wasn't as fresh as it used to be, and uh, you know, yeah. Especially with something like Spider-Man, where you don't have the kind of freedom you don't have in an, an image book. Yep. Where you're kind of your overlords are telling you you need to use blank character for blank thing. Yeah. Your ideas tend to get staler faster than oh, I'm sure than other places. So yeah. That's a long form answer to kind of. <laughs> uh, it's a lot of highs and lows. Yeah. I, have you read much of it? I read What's the word on the street with you. Yeah. I, I read a good amount of um, Superior and I really enjoyed Superior Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, 
I, I, I think I got about halfway through that run. And obviously, Humberto Ramos and I can't remember which other artists. Ryan Stegman. Ryan Stegman. Yeah. Um, both of them, I think, were, were really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, obviously, the costume was great. And kind of hearing that sort of different voice for, for Peter um, was fun. And, and having that kind of weird dynamic with Peter still existing in his mind. Um, but I, I, I haven't really read much of Amazing. I know Matt, uh, one of my co-hosts on the show... Um, he's, he's been real down on, on Dan Slott's Spider-Man. He hasn't kept up in a long time. Uh, and he was kind of reinvigorated by, uh, Chip Zdarsky, uh, starting the, the sure. spectacular Spider-Man. Um, I read the first couple issues of that and, and really enjoyed it. I thought it was really fun. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's like the most Spider-Man reading I've been doing lately. Um, the majority of it for a long time has been, uh, um, ultimate spider-man and especially the the later stuff like the the miles morales stuff i read mm. most um of my ultimate spider-man there i uh, but yeah i i as far as dan slot i honestly you know what i've read of his i've been fine with um but i know he's very uh controversial some people love him some people hate him and then there's some people you know who are just like middle of the road you know some good some bad yeah, I don't i don't love to hate him yeah like i hate some of the books he's put out and hate is a strong word um, I think that he gets himself into trouble online that he could have avoided by just not. Yeah. Um, he engages a lot more. Than- yeah. And I think he's taking a smarter approach to it now where he seems to have kind of like blocked his Twitter. And I, I'm nobody's Twitter nanny. And, <laughs> and if I was receiving the kind of comment that Dan Slott received, I would probably no, be no better than him. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, hey, look, he's writing Spider Man. Spider Man's the same way. You yeah. know, like he finds himself unprovoked in in, in places <laughs> he probably shouldn't be. And yeah. you know what? Great. If that's the personality it takes to write a good Spider Man, then then so be it. So be it. Um, and we're getting Nick Spencer on the book, who is a similar kind of Twitter history. So, yeah. you know, we're wading back into controversy. I think uh, all, so all over again. What's what's your take on on Nick Spencer uh, as a writer? Have you enjoyed his stuff? I love his stuff. I loved his Hydra Cap. I don't yeah. care. Same. Who says otherwise? I think it's one of the coolest uh, series I've read in a long time. Yeah. I think he does tend to let – I don't wouldn't say his politics. Um, I think his like um, you know Falcon Cap mm-hmm. book was a little too like on-the-nose political. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it weaved it better than others. Mm-hmm. But um, I think Superior Foes of Spider-Man is one of the most fun books Marvel's ever published. Yeah. Um, I I think I mean not to get too ahead, but like Ryan Otley from Invincible coming over and getting Nick Spencer. This is like my yeah. dream team for this yeah. book. Um, there's probably a more like fresh and exciting take mm-hmm. to, for someone to get on Spider Man. Spencer's been around for a while. Yeah, you know, like, w- like if they were to tell me like Donny Cates is writing. The new Spider-Man book, I'd yeah. be like, "Whoa, what a Although, cool pick!" That would be like the eighth book that Donny Cates would be writing every oh, right. month, too. But yeah, I, I hear you. I think Nick Spencer's the perfect pick for this. Yeah, I think Ryan Otley's the perfect artist for this. Yeah, I'm curious how long Otley stays on. I bet it's only going to be like one or two arcs. Maybe. I mean, they seem to have announced it as a big deal, and even in the pages of Invincible, yeah, you know, they tease in the in the letters column of the last page that Ryan's next book would be amazing and spectacular. Oh, that's funny. I feel like they're like really, you know, being serious with him. I mean, he got his big book yeah. out of the way and now he's doing his favorite character, which is Spider-Man. Yeah, that's so, true. You know, um I just I, yeah, we'll see. With a creator like that, I always wonder like 
you know, because especially with, with the modern sort of landscape of comics, uh, the trajectory seems to be once you get to a certain point, you know, once you, once you have a certain point of like acclaim and, and spotlight on you, the best option really is to kind of just do creator owned, you know, because, because I doubt Marvel is going to be able to like, I doubt they're matching what he was making from invincible. Well, that's, that's what's so surprising to me is I thought for sure this wouldn't happen. And it was just like people like hoping, you know, hoping. Yeah. So when it actually was announced, I couldn't believe it. I, you know, I mean, first of all, it's going to be weird to see J Jonah Jameson looking like a (laughs) Viltrumite, but, uh, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I will be curious, but I feel like all these announcements that they've been making as part of this fresh start, which is clearly C.V. Sabolsky's, mm-hmm. you know, like rewriting of of how Marvel's acting. I've been attracted to every title they've been announcing. Totally. I mean, I don't love the whole new number one thing, but yeah. like if they're going to do legacy numbering and number ones, I'm OK with it. As cool, long as it gets not? new people reading comics. Yeah, um, I have people email me all the time. Hey, you know, like uh, it went from like number fifty to seven hundred, blah blah blah. <laughs> like, did I miss something? You know, like people really are not as attuned to comics, no. and they're just picking it up for the. Most of my listeners to my show started reading comics like twenty issues ago, yeah, and are looking for a place to reinforce their knowledge. Likewise, so, you know, uh, yeah, it's. I mean, and, and that's the thing. Like, one of my big sort of contentions is that the single issue format is not the format that new readers go for. No. You know, they they read trades. Like yeah. they read digital. They you know, and so like the print single issues I don't necessarily care so much about the the numbering on those, but it's when the numbering on the trades gets fucked up that, oh, that pisses yeah. me off, you know, like <laughs> oh, yeah. Captain Marvel was the classic example. Over the course of Kelly Sue DeConnick's run, I think there was only one volume 3 and there were three volume 1s. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? And That'll like, do it. That is confusing as shit like even i honestly at this point don't remember and i like i was tuned into it but i do not know which number one was the real number one of her run on captain marvel like that's so funny i look at those trades and i'm like is it higher further faster more or is it what was the other one called like woman power and then there was another one that was something like uh and i, I had no clue um that's the part where i start to get frustrated because it's like this is this is your market for new readers like it, it this industry sales show the bookstore market is the one that's growing the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, digital market is also growing, and the single issue print market in in reta- you know in in stores in comic book stores is basically stagnant. You know, it sells about the same every year, a little bit less, honestly. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know, bookstore you know trade market growing huge, digital growing huge, like it takes up more and more of the market every year. But then they keep making it more confusing <laughs> for people to jump right. on. It's frustrating, but. Yeah, I, I hope that Sobolski, you know, it seems like towing that line is is uh, kind of the approach they're taking. It's just with that with the fresh start, I, I hope that going forward, it'll be less confusing for new readers to jump on. Yeah, we'll see about, you know, like, I don't have a lot of faith in that. Uh, but but I, I do think Sobolski is really trying to mend a lot of bridges yeah. that were broken over the past few years, um, mainly since Hickman left. But you hear these yeah. things about Hickman coming back. And finishing up runs and maybe starting new runs. Yeah. You've got Ryan Otley and, you know, you've got a bunch of kind of talented people that are, you know, Jason Aaron is now doing the Avengers, yeah. which I think is a perfect place for him. Totally. I've, I've been waiting for him to do something like Avengers for a long time. Yeah. You know, I think Bendis leaving is sad, but also a great thing for Marvel. Like, I think it was time for yeah. like that era of creator to kind of make way for some new people. I yeah. mean, 
Axel Alonso and all these guys, you know, uh, they I, I felt like it was time for them to go. Totally. Bendis was not writing fresh stuff anymore. Yeah, and I mean, he he had said everything he needed to say in the Marvel Universe. Like, the, he had been doing Marvel for, what, almost 20 years? Like, you Yeah, know, 20 years, it's, yeah. It's, it's, 1999, yeah. So he came on Ultimate Spider-Man. Totally. So, I mean, it was time. And it's, like, for me, honestly, I'm super excited to, to see his Superman stuff and, and also, like, the new creator-owned stuff he's doing with DC and, yeah. and all that stuff. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that Marvel needed kind of a, a fresh start. And, I mean, honestly, like, you know, some people, like... There were people who were excited, like, okay, they'll finally get away from the SJW stuff. And then, you know, other people were like, oh, I, you know, I hope they, they don't. Uh, and I think they're doing a good job of balancing that. Like, like having Ta-Nehisi Coates on Captain America awesome. is a fucking great choice. Like, it's, it's, that, that is, I think, the perfect book for someone like him because he's, he's not afraid to get political, um, but also, you know, represents a, a, an entirely different voice than anybody who's written Captain America before. This whole political and Marvel <clears throat> thing is just like the complaints about this annoy me to, to, I know. Uh, to, to no They've end. always been political. And like, look, I'm frustrated by some books that lean into it too much. Yeah. I think champions leans into it a little too hard in a way that I find kind of, um, offensive. Yeah. Uh, we had discussed this off mic, but there's like an issue where they go to like the middle East and save all these mm-hmm. women that are being, tortured by extremist you know, like <laughs> radical you know yeah. muslims and you know it's like oh the superheroes saved them and it's like that's great and all but it's also kind of offensive because women aren't being saved by superheroes in yeah in reality there's no there's no solution that easy in in real life to, right to that right if only there was miss marvel and yeah. spider-man to save the middle east it's it's kind of like you know i i liked how comics handled uh 9-11 when it happened yeah you know they they didn't write comics and like put out content that was like and all the superheroes save everybody who was 9-11 you know like well there was an issue like that have you read the amazing spider-man 9-11 issue i thought didn't oh no i was thinking of i was thinking of what was it the superman because there was who was it that did the issue where like everyone was just kind of stunned by what happened uh well it's probably the amazing spider-man one Mm. but you see the superheroes pulling people out of the wreckage and i Mm. thought it was very tasteful it ends with uh, images of firefighters standing in front of the superheroes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a mix of the real world, but it did get in a little trouble because they have a scene with Doctor Doom crying mm. about it, and it's like, well, Doctor Doom is a terrorist. Yeah. So like, would he really cry about this? Yeah. I'm not entirely sure. Totally. Um, it's weird when you mix these. You know, Marvel's always mixed the real world with. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and that's my main point is Marvel's always been political, and people are like. Oh no! This is a new thing. I never read Marvel comics. Yeah. Every single issue of the original series of Marvel for the first several years of its existence was about superheroes fighting communism. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah, like, like that was. I mean, that was Jack Kirby's bread and butter with everything that he wrote. Was like he would bleed his heart onto the page, like with with you know, especially with his and Joe Simon's Captain America. But um, you know, I mean, like the X Men are very clearly rooted in in you know sixties politics. Like it's 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 almost impossible to see the correlation or to not see the correlation between professor X and Magneto with Martin Luther King and, and Malcolm X. Absolutely. Like, it's yeah, it's, it's crazy to me when I hear people talking about how, how Marvel shouldn't be political or has never been. Cause yeah, it's, it's always been that way. And I, I like that in some cases DC has started getting more political because, you know, especially back in the day they were the, the, you know, buttoned up and, and sort of like, toe the line and make sure we appease the comics code and all that stuff kind of people 
up until like the Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams stuff. Um, but it's, you know, like recently I've been reading um, Ben Percy's Green Arrow and that, that book is fucking crazy political. Like they had a, a story about, um, about a, a football player kneeling for the anthem, uh, like right when the Kaepernick stuff was coming oh, to a wow. head and stuff. And it was like, like the, the whole book has been getting crazy political, but in kind of a good way, not where it's like heavy handed and dumb, but, but in, I think the right green arrow way where he's like a bleeding heart liberal that's, that has this mindset on things. Um, but that that mindset actually creates interesting stories and discussions rather than just like, ah, oh, so let me go and save a bunch of, you know, inner city kids from, from terrible white business people or something. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It has to be somewhat political for it to be interesting, to be honest. Totally. I mean, like, you know, the same thrills that you'll got as a kid watching people punch each other on a page. Mm-hmm. You know, you can get anywhere, you know, like uh, what makes it interesting is that writers take a, make a statement and, yeah. And say something using, you know, the structure of comics to do it. Otherwise, who cares about who's behind the scenes of it all? Like, yeah. You know, if you're not putting an idea on the page, anybody could come in and say, okay, in this scene, Magneto's going to punch. And then the next scene, Wolverine's going to punch him back. Yeah. You know, maybe Wolverine's a bad example because Magneto could stop that. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I wonder if Wolverine's yeah. ever in in the history of comics. Do you think Wolverine's ever landed a punch on Magneto? Yeah, I I believe he stabbed him several times. Um, but I, but was I, he like depowered or something? No, Magneto? I think he like caught him off guard or something like that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dumb, caught him off guard. Dumb. Lame. Um, that's uh, that's fun. Well, um. I guess this episode's uh, definitely going to be sort of structureless because we've touched on a bit of news and touched on a bit of ketchup. Um, I just watched uh, a wrinkle of time or, or a wrinkle in time. Did, oh, did you now? Watched it last night. <sighs> yeah, that that was that was what I thought and why I didn't go see it, dude. I it was well directed. Uh, the most of the performances were all right, uh, and I wanted to like that movie a lot. You know, it was like, oh yeah, cool, like. You know, you got this this kind of like sort of big uh, blockbuster movie with, you know, a young mixed race girl in the lead and like a very diverse cast. And, you know, Oprah's there, which is always great. Uh, and then watching the movie, it was just it was just an awkward movie. Like the first act is just wrought with like cliches being thrown against each other and like the most horrible, like dumb exposition possible just to have one character overhear something bad being said about them, you know, like stuff like that um and so it was it was just annoying and then like oprah for whatever reason when oprah first shows up for like 15 minutes she's giant like just very large that's what i've heard but giant they, oprah yeah but they establish uh they establish that uh that she's like that she can change size willingly um your your cat is loving my camera bag it's 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 all right <laughs> um but she they establish that she can change size willingly However, she keeps herself giant for about 15 minutes. And so you just have all these scenes where everyone's like walking around and like doing stuff in a field and flying around and exploring this great new world. And Oprah's just like creepily like walking around observing it in the background as like this 80 foot tall giant. So it's weird. You have like all the stuff going on on screen right here. And then just right in the backdrop is just huge Oprah just observing things creepily as a giant. Like you're like, why? And then suddenly in one scene, it's like, oh, hey, you're normal size. It's like... Then why was, like, what was the point of having her giant that entire time if yeah. all of a sudden she's, like, there was no payoff for it? It, it seemed, weird. it always seemed to me like a strange choice to give 
someone like Ava DuVernay who made this movie that was very grounded in the historical realism of you know the Selma era yeah. and had made a documentary about like real world things suddenly give her this big fantasy mm-hmm. uh, movie and based on what I'm hearing and seeing it's like things are interesting and it there's like a vision but like it's someone who clearly doesn't know how to handle fantasy elements um, yeah and like I'm sure she must have gone into the room and pitched and really convinced people that she was and now she's getting new gods so she must you know really have a, a passion for fantasy and yeah. things like that but um you know i saw the trailer and i was like it does like it looks ridiculous yeah everything looked designed to hell and the colors look super saturated yeah and, i mean it looked di- like a disney movie but yeah um, and, and what's her face um reese witherspoon she plays a character that like turns into some weird cgi i heard she turns thing. into like a lettuce leaf or something yeah like point. a flying lettuce leaf and like it, she still has a face but at no point does that face look like it exists. You know, like 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 it's a real object. It one hundred percent looks like a video game that's interacting with real people. And so you're like, oh, this like this is jarring. Yeah. Um, seeing them on screen together, you know. Well, it was it was awkward for me in the lead up to this movie because you just see all these people championing this movie before they've even seen it to be this kind of um, herald progressive for di- di- yeah progressive movie for diversity and. Um, and even the reviews reflect this because like every review is couched in. I really liked Selma, but yeah. Um, and it's like it's unfortunate that this movie has to wear that mantle. Like it shouldn't be forced to wear that mantle. Yeah. Everybody can direct a bad movie. Yeah. You know, and studios can make bad. They do it almost exclusively all the time. <laughs> yeah. Ninety percent um, of movies are bad. So this movie shouldn't. You know, I guess it's the first a hundred million dollar movie helmed by a black woman. Yeah. You know, which is like a great thing, but it shouldn't have to. By its very nature of how rare that is, it, that shouldn't be rare for one. Yeah. And by that very nature, it shouldn't have to shoulder all of this extra stuff. Yeah, have like the burden of like, you know, okay, let's see how a really diverse movie does. And, and then having people basically be like, oh, well, you know, that's right. why you don't do or but, whatever. You but know? now you've got all these progressive people jumping on this. And I consider myself progressive, jumping on this thing, hoping that it's like the savior, you know, yeah. that it can do what Black Panther did. Yeah. You know, and it's like it's just not that good of a movie. N- well, yeah, and and it's it's unfair of you ex- to expect that out of it. And so now you get all these reviews coming out that are like virtual virtue signaling. Yep. That like, oh, you know, like I I really like like Selma. You know, like they like they have to justify mm-hmm. why they didn't like this movie. Yeah, and the, yeah, and totally. And that's the thing is like it's sometimes it's just a bad movie. I I will say like I like that. These movies are like the, that a movie with such a diverse cast and, and stuff is getting made. And I hope that continues. You know, I hope 10 years down the road, it doesn't have to be even a conversation, you know, that movies are just movies and right. whatever the cast makeup is, that's what it is. Um, and and, and equally, like, I hope that like, uh, you know, some people that went and saw this movie, you know, saw themselves on screen and were moved by it. Like, Absolutely. even if we didn't like it, like, hopefully someone's getting something. Yeah. And it. not, yeah. yeah, not everything's going to be for everybody. Um you know, nor should it. I think that that's you know, if it's it's. I talk about it with comics a lot. It's like if you like, if 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 anybody you know who's reading comics likes everything they read from a certain publisher, they're doing something wrong. You know, like they're they're doing something wrong if there is any person who likes everything they read from Marvel or DC. Um, so I read every single book that Marvel publishes. Oh yeah, um, mainly through like their unlimited service. Yeah. 
just because I told myself, you know what, I'm going to start reading everything so I can get a grasp on what they're putting out. Yeah. You know, and it's like, man, I hate most of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but and it's it, interesting. But that's good. Yeah. I, I think that's good because it's like, you know, not everything is going to resonate with, with somebody with your experience or somebody with my experience or anybody, you know, like we all have different makeup for, for where we come from and what interests us. And so obviously like certain things just aren't going to land that would land with somebody else and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually I just wanted to, to uh, say, speaking of black Panther, this movie is still, it's five weeks now. Number one at the box office. Jeez. It's the first movie since avatar to do that. Uh, it's now the second highest grossing Marvel cinematic universe movie. Um, domestically at least. Uh, it's, I mean, like every record, this movie is just going nuts. It's about to pass Iron Man at the box office. By the time this this episode comes out, it'll probably have passed Iron Man right. 3. I mean, um, and then the only other Marvel movies that it has to outgross worldwide are Avengers Age of Ultron and Avengers. Like, that's crazy for, like, none of the other single, like, hero movies have gotten close to the Avengers movies. And it's doing really well overseas, too, which is like yeah. a really big thing for it. Yeah, because it was already tracking huge, and it hadn't even opened in China yet, which is their biggest market. Like, that's crazy for it to, for it to have already been tracking that well without opening in, in Marvel's largest market. What do you think is the... Um, beyond the obvious appeal of it? So for, like, Avatar... Mm-hmm. You know, if you had asked me, I was really excited about that movie because I had been hearing about James Cameron developing this technology for you know like a decade and i was you know i remember avatar day the day they showed like 17 minutes of that movie yeah and i like told my brother you need to go see it because i'm not going to be able to go see it go out and see it (laughs) and he got out and he was like yeah it was cool i guess you know and i was like okay that's not really that big of a endorsement you know (laughs) um and i thought for sure this movie was going to be a big flop like that like people like you Mm -hmm. and i who would pay attention to this stuff would go see Avatar and be excited about a planet with ten foot tall blue people. Totally, you know, I had no idea that there would be like a uh, like. I mean, leave it to James Cameron, but of course that there would be a mainstream crossover appeal mm-hmm. and a ma- huge mainstream crossover appeal. Yeah, and I always attributed that to like people just wanted to go to Pandora. Yeah, like there was something about it that was like a fantasy that everybody could connect to. Nobody really cared about the story. They thought that the fabulousness of that location was somewhere they needed to go. So like, what is it for black Panther? What is the, is it seeing, Um, is it seeing underrepresented people on screen for the first time? I mean, I can tell you like a number of my students who are African American, mm -hmm. they won't, they won't do anything but talk about black Panther, you know? Yeah. I, I I mean, I think that's a big part of it. Like I, you know, uh, same thing, like, you know, any, anybody who I know who's been, you know, responding to that movie very large, I think that it's, you know, it's a big, first of all, it's, it's just a big, a big marker for society and where we're at that there was a movie with a $200 million budget that was directed by a black man, written by a black man and almost exclusively cast with black people. There were what, two white people in that entire movie? Like, you know, that is, that is a huge tentpole. Yeah. Uh, and, and sort of a, a sign of where we're at with, with the movies we make. Um, not only that, but to have it be as as solid as it was, right? You know, like there's there's not really any plot holes in that movie. Like there's nothing, there's no glaring mistakes. You know, the really the biggest complaint anybody that I've seen and the biggest complaint that I even have about that movie is that it kind of follows a lot of the same sort of like signposts that every other Marvel movie does. Sure, uh, but you didn't really think you th- you didn't think he was dead, did you? No. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, not at all. Um, 
that yeah because it's it's and, and that's that's the thing with marvel i think is we're getting to about time where like they really have to start leaning into other types of plots and other genres of movie mm-hmm. to keep their universe fresh because because this this thing is instead only... of just signaling that they're going to do that because they've said that like oh this one's a spy thriller yeah. it's like it's not really a spy thriller the, yeah the furthest they diverged was with winter soldier uh you know that was the furthest they diverged from their central formula and May, maybe spider-man homecoming since it's so low stakes it is low stakes, and that was super refreshing. Yeah, but at the same time, it did it did hit a lot of temples. Although I, I will say, Spider Man Homecoming is one of the better ones of like diverging from the path. Right. But it's like you know they were talking about Doctor Strange, like this is going to be like a horror movie almost, you know. And, and you watch it, you are like, no, this is just Iron Man with magic, like yeah. you know. Um, but I, I, anyway, I think that that a lot of that just like having, uh, you know, having having a world where it's like you know this, you know, a a group of people who are historically just underrepresented and you know neglected in this type of landscape this is the first time that it's been like prominently shown and not in a way of like you know especially because in the past movies that are primarily you know filled with with a black cast are about you know like the the civil rights movement about slavery and about all those things and so they're they're not super optimistic movies and i think it's just like having a movie that's so optimistic that it's just Im- empowering in general uh that's not like talking about all these horrible atrocities you know i think it was just it was refreshing for a lot of people where it's like yeah we don't have to like we don't have to like sit here and like brood on these things while we acknowledge them we don't have to like sit here and really go into those things and we can talk about today and still be optimistic you know and and you have the appeal of michael b jordan's character who's like hey you know, look at all these horrible things that we could prevent, you know, like actually addressing what's going on today rather than pulling from from that stuff that movies tend to go to. I don't know. That's a really exciting, um, pro- uh, I guess, prospect if if that's true, mm-hmm. because, you know, a lot of that stuff I would couch in the realm of kind of insider knowledge, mm-hmm. you know, like. I think a lot of people, when they go to see movies, they don't really think about the no. politics of it or who's behind creating it, even though studios like to advertise from the studio that brought you blank. And it's yeah. like, what does that even mean? Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, this this implies a level of of real care and desire to see different faces from a mm-hmm. mainstream audience. Yeah. That, like, I think I would have said wasn't necessarily true like Mm -hmm. you know maybe in a few years ago or even like like a few months ago i would have thought you know what people care about that but not enough to really get them out in numbers like we're seeing yeah for black panther so like but it seems to be true with you know wonder woman and black panther like Mm -hmm. the that people want to go out you know yeah because i don't know if i could describe the real appeal to wonder woman beyond it's a female-led, it's a female-led yeah. superhero movie, totally. and and so that's really exciting to me. That it seems that that actually is moving yeah. the dial. Um, well, no, and I'll tell you the other the other part that's like that's a little. Uh, I guess it's a little less optimistic about it, but I think that this is a big part of it. Is that uh, is that this is a movie that is uh, you know filled with black people that doesn't uh, make really insecure white people uncomfortable. You know, like because there are a lot of white people who just feel crazy uncomfortable watching a movie about about slavery or about, you know, the civil rights movement or stuff because they're like, oh, like, look at all these bad things that white people are Uh, doing. You 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 should have come to my Thanksgiving table to talk about Get Out. (laughs) 
uh, because I heard a lot of my relatives saying, oh, but it made white people look so bad. And I was like, well, well yeah, yeah, like, like that's reality. Yeah. Uh, like, I think I'm white sorry, people, I, think, I guess. Yeah, I think white people have done a better job making white people look bad than, than Get Out did. You know, I think Get Out's just reflecting. It's like, uh, I'm sorry history. that these fictional evil white characters made you upset. <laughs> Yeah, and that was the thing, is I, is I think this is a movie where it's like, you know, for that person, for that person who felt really uncomfortable watching Get Out, uh, or felt really uncomfortable at the prospect of watching Get Out, uh, you know, I think this is a movie where it's like, okay, it's 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 okay, white people, you don't have to, like, worry that you're going to feel bad about yourself or feel like you did something, ba-, you know, and it's, and so I think that's the thing, is like a lot of insecure people who are not comfortable with the fact that, you know, that their ancestors have probably done horrible things, uh and have not accepted that or, or come to terms with that. I think that this is a movie where they can go and watch it and not worry that that's going to be brought up, which is an unfortunate like side effect, you know, or an unfortunate signal of its result. But at least, you know, I, I think that's the sort of underbelly of, of also why it, it's well. interesting that you say that because there's like, there's a whole element of this movie with the Killmonger character mm-hmm. where, you know, he's fighting for repressed people everywhere. Totally. But they don't spend any time in the movie showcasing no. repress the repression of people because they just take it for granted that like well Everyone duh knows. everybody yeah. knows yeah. you know like you can see it every day of your life yeah. but for someone like you described who is maybe unwilling to see yeah. that kind of repression are they leaving that movie going you know like I didn't really get that killmonger character like I've had several people say to me like I'm curious about um that. uh I my least favorite part of that movie was the Killmonger character, including my brothers, really? who I don't think are the most progressive people. Yeah, they have problems with like Colin Kaepernick and stuff oh, like that. Of course, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I'll admit it. In my it's in my own family, <laughs> and um, I mean whatever. There's a there's a disparity of opinions on everything, but yeah. um, you know they both equally not to tie these together, but they both equally said. Killmonger was my least favorite part of the movie, funny. and I was like, "That's so funny because I think he's the best part of the movie." I'm, I'm the same way. I was talking to that uh, on our like two episodes ago. We were talking about Black Panther, and that was one of my things. Is I was like, I think honestly, it was a disservice to Chadwick Boseman a little bit to have him have to try and like match charisma with Michael B. Jordan in that movie. Oh, there's no way Michael yeah. B. Jordan's one of the most charismatic people, yeah, like except for his the Human Torch. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, that movie was. I felt bad <laughs> for my, I felt bad for Michael B. Jordan yeah, yeah, and yeah. Kate Mara in that movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, like he for me, absolutely, Michael B. Jordan was far and away the best part of that movie. And so that's interesting because I, I've kind of like I, I come from from a very conservative area uh, of of the country uh, in Utah, and since moving to LA, I've kind of distanced myself a little bit from that sort of like vein of of information. You know, the the election and a lot of other things have kind of like brought me to the point where I'm not looking at that stuff as much. Yeah. But I am I am curious for some people that I, I know out there, I am very curious what their take was on on uh Killmonger and, and whether that resonated with them or not. Well because then there's a whole other avenue of thought, which is like, you know, like Killmonger is the hero, yeah. you know, or like there's that whole avenue of, of people that were talking saying that uh, Black Panther was a deeply evil movie mm-hmm. because of you know what it what it says about like uh african cultures and and uh and relations with the world and and that's a whole avenue i can't speak to and go down it's not my realm i've listened to a lot of conversations about it yeah. but it's funny to hear the far far opposite of that which is like you know like killmonger i don't get this guy yeah uh, so. that's that's funny yeah but yeah i i uh i think there's definitely a lot of factors in success but it's 
I think it's encouraging because the fact that Black Panther is doing so well, I mean, incredibly well. Like, like we saw even the impact of Deadpool. Deadpool made what eight hundred million internationally or, yeah. or you know globally, something like that. Uh, and it had a huge impact on how films were being made. But Black Panther is about to probably make close to a billion and a half. Like, this is going to have huge ripples on on films that get greenlit and made going You forward. can already see it in um, the comics. They, Marvel just announced, yes. you know, a new comic about the warriors of, you know, like the female warriors yeah. of Wakanda. And, Sweet. Um, you know, Spider-Man's in it, so I had to pay attention. Of course. Um, you know, that's their way of getting a more broad, you know, appeal. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, yeah. which, which signals a kind of, like, icky thing about comics where it's like, in the movies, these characters could be, you know, a force on their own, but not in comics. You got to tie Spider-Man in. But um, although, although I would, as much as they're talking about like doing movies, doing spin-off movies um, about the the Wakandan world, I'm sure that they would they would take at least a couple of their leads from from other movies, whether it be Black Panther, whether sure. it be someone like that, and put them in. Like it's the same as what they've done with Iron Man in a right. lot of these movies too. I don't really know how I feel about. That I don't know if there are enough. Like I like all these characters in the context of Black Panther. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I want to see a Shuri movie unless Shuri becomes Black yeah. Panther, like I, what she did in the comics. So yeah. I feel like the way to do it would be if you get like Shuri and um, <laughs> I always I always forget Lupita Nyong'o's character. Um, I forget what her name was, but if you get if you get those two like teaming up on like some sort of like. Spy mission, spy mission or something. exactly. Like I feel like that would be cool. Kind of like, like a James Uncharted Bond thing. Lost Legacy, totally. but but for Black Panther. Yeah, like I, th- I think there'd be cool ways to do that. You know, like having her going on on sort of these these espionage missions. Um, but yeah, I agree. I mean, I think with most Marvel movies, there's not there's not a huge amount of room for spinoffs from the supporting characters. You know, well, they got to learn how to pump the brakes because they're burning through all their characters pretty quickly. You <laughs> yeah. know, like, I, I although think... that makes me excited. Cause then it's like, you know, at what point do we start getting like a fucking quasar movie or something oh, yeah. like that? Sleep, you know what I mean? Sleepwalker, the movie. Yeah. And, and uh, like white, white tiger. Yeah. See, that's the one I'm waiting for is the white tiger movie because totally. you have a Latino lead and, and they go to the movies using the word they, but the Latino population goes mm. to the movies more than the African-Americans do. It's like a 20% of all tickets sold. And it's like someone really is going to hit that market and huge. Yeah. I don't know what the Marvel character is for that, but like, you know, you could do a white tiger yeah. movie and I could imagine that doing killer. Well, um, I think that's what we're we're kind of about to see with with Marvel movies with DC movies and just blockbusters in general is like, okay, which like which part of the population has been underrepresented in blockbusters? You know, I think yeah. studio execs are about to do that and I'm sure that there'll be a good amount of mediocre movies that are just trying to pander and hopefully there'll also be a lot that are that are really good. Um, you know, but I, I'm sure we will start seeing more, especially, you know, on the heels of controversy from like Ghost in the Shell and movies like that. I'm sure we'll see some more Asian American led movies, you know, and, and probably, you know, some Latino led movies and, and obviously more female led movies with Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel and stuff like that. Like the, 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 the landscape of the blockbuster is about to be changed, I think, which is awesome. I hope so. And, and I, to bring this full circle back to Ava DuVernay, like, Doing so will allow a movie like that to not have to shoulder yeah. that kind of weight. Exactly. You know? So, like, pander away, but pander away with a bunch of movies yeah. so that we can, you know, address them each on their own merits instead of having them be our golden child. Yeah. The, yeah, know? exactly. The hope is that, that 10 years from now, 
a movie like Black Panther isn't necessarily unique, you know, in the landscape in terms of like how how diverse or, or how underrepresented its its kind of cast is. Sure, but let's not forget about Blade too. That's true, but I mean, Blade <laughs> was one guy. No, you know? no, I'm just kidding. Around. But yeah, um, I do love Blade though, the first one at least. Um, Although Wes, Wesley Snipes, man, that guy's crazy. <laughs> that guy really is crazy. He was in jail for tax fraud. He was. Yeah. Um, I so, it's, but speaking, yeah, on Ava DuVernay, uh, the New Gods movie that they announced with her, that makes me really excited. Um, although, I mean, Warner Brothers can't get together who they want in charge of DC films, and I'm still very disappointed at the kind of the treatment that Jeff Johns got. Like, they give him less than a year as the head of DC films with, you know, two movies that he was like, like first off wonder woman, the one movie that he was like really involved in did very well. And then justice league where it's like, he's, you know, kind of brought in like as they start production and, you know, like has to like try and shift things around and like figure stuff out with the movie that Zack Snyder was making versus Joss Whedon and stuff. And like, you know, it was a movie that he was having to try and course correct on and he didn't get a chance for one movie to be, from pre-production all the way through release under his tutelage, except for Wonder Woman since he was involved in the scripting I didn't process. even know he was removed from that role. Yeah, so he's he's now in like more of kind of like a consultant sort of role. It's, they're like, yeah, he'll be heavily involved, but he's not the head of DC Films anymore. You're about to wade into my territory where I'm not super adept. I don't follow DC, don't follow DC. very directly. Well, that's, that's I, why I read we're, things here and there. Yeah. We're yin and yanging right now. Okay, great. Uh, but it bums me out anyway. Like they have a new head, and and he's the guy who kind of was shepherding New Line for a long time. So he the the new head is the guy who basically brought it uh, kind of into into existence. Oh, that doesn't that does not allay my fears in any way. Not really for me either. Uh, I think Jeff Johns was the perfect guy to have um in that role and so it's it's bumming me out however i do think that having ava duvernay a having ava duvernay directing this and b doing a new gods movie are both really exciting things for me uh you know exploring more of that jack kirby stuff apparently it's not really going to be super tied in to the dc you know film universe well that seems to be the direction they're going right is like moving away from this universe idea i kind of i think i think so which you know Meh. I, I like I, I as long as I'm getting cool DC movies, I don't necessarily care, but I would really like to have a universe where Justice League movies are still happening. Sure. Just better ones. I just think they need to pick a direction and stick with it. Yeah. Which is why it bums me out that they kind of pushed Jeff Johns out. Where I was like, right. you, you had a guy. Like you had somebody to guide your universe. And I think Aquaman's gonna be kick ass and probably in large part because of the collaboration between Jeff Johns and, and James Wan, but that's another thing. Um but yeah, anyway, I, I, I'm excited. And a couple of years ago, actually, Ava DuVernay got asked on Twitter uh, what her favorite superhero was. And she said Big Barda, which oh. was strange. I was, like at the time, especially, you're like, man, deep cut, Ava. Uh, but now, like, that's that's making uh, so much more sense. And I'm very excited to see, like, what, you know, what, what she does with that movie. Um, and I mean, have you been reading uh, Mr. Miracle at all by Tom King? No, every every time I go into the store, everybody's like, "You got you got to read it," and I'm like, I, do. "I don't even know if I can understand the fundamental like underpinnings of that series." I need to pick it up, but it'll be like a trade read, I think, if, for me. If you pick it up in trade, actually, I think you will understand because they they actually did for the director's cut issue of Mr. Miracle. Um, they had like a little sort of five page. Or it might have been four. Who page. is this guy? Kind of thing. Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so they're going to be putting that at the beginning of the trade. Got it. Um, either way, I think it's re- the series itself is relatively accessible. Did you uh, read Vision? Yes. So like, is it like that where it's like you could know about the Vision, but if you don't know anything about the Vision, 
Yeah. You'll be okay. Yeah, it's like there's there's some continuity references just like in Vision, but it's not like it's not the the sort of foundation of the series. Got it. Um and yeah, and it also it it's kind of picking up on a lot of thematic elements from Vision. It's kind of a spiritual sequel in a way. Mm. Um and so it's it's really good and I think Mitch Garris is is drawing the shit out of that book. Um but yeah, uh another another piece of news. Uh friend of the show Brian Hill uh is now taking over as the writer on Detective Comics. Uh, Brian has been writing. He he wrote on uh, the latest season of Ash vs. Evil Dead. Um, he is a writer on the new Titans show that, that DC is doing for their uh, streaming app, mm-hmm. um, as well as writing uh, Michael Cray for Warren Ellis's Wildstorm imprint, a um, bunch of other books, Bonehead, uh, Romulus, Postal, a lot of Top Cow stuff he did for a long time. Um, and I, I think he's a, a great writer for it. We, we had him on the show for an interview uh, months ago. Um, almost a year ago, probably. Uh, but we, I, I talked to him about that, how kind of, I thought that his writing was a bit, um, like he, he uses a lot of Frank Miller methodology, um, and stuff like that. And so I, I feel like he's kind of perfectly suited for that Gotham universe. Oh, wow. Um, and he's also bringing in black lightning to that, uh, to that book. That's the Nightwing book. Uh, Detective Comics is, is sort of the Batman family book. Yes. But hasn't it recently been very focused on Nightwing? Um, no, maybe maybe more recently. I haven't read super uh, up to date on that Got one, it. and so it's possible. Yeah. Um. I know when I started it, it was very focused on like Batwoman and. Um, oh yeah, Tim maybe that's Drake. what I'm mixing up because he's oh, got okay. Nightwing's got his own book. That yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's uh, Tim Seeley wrote that. Then Sam Humphreys, and now um, shoot, I can't remember who's taken over for Sam Humphreys on Nightwing, but um, but yeah, Nightwing has its own series, and this one's kind of just like the Gotham family. Uh, but bringing in Black Lightning, I think, is is exciting because um, I haven't like Black Lightning has been so underused in DC Comics historically. But now that the TV series right. is doing so well, they're like, oh, okay, I guess we should probably do push this. him a little bit more. Yeah, which they also in other Black Lightning news they announced that Brian Hill as well is writing a um, Black Lightning and uh, shoot, it's one of the Hanna Barbera tie-ins. Um, I have to look it up. I actually wasn't. I Black wasn't Lightning meets this. the Flintstones. It wasn't meets the Flintstones, but they so they did. Um, did you read Batman and Elmer Fudd? I did. So that that it's kind of the the sort of the second Got volume it. of those books. Um, it's Black Lightning and somebody, and I'm I'm pissed that I'm not uh, remembering which one. I'll I'll look it up really quick. But yeah, Brian Hill's writing that as well. Um, and so I think that he's he's definitely getting his his fill of uh, Black Lightning writing right now <laughs> between Detective Comics and this Hanna Barbera uh, team up. Um, Hanna Barbera. I'm looking it up and filling time. Here we go. Um, Black Lightning and Hong Kong Fooey. Oh, <laughs> it's, I'm super it's an interesting, an interesting one to land on the the kind of sli- slightly slash overtly racist Hong Kong Fooey. Yeah, I, 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 Brian, Brian's had a pretty adept hand with uh, with that type of stuff before, and so I'm sure it'll be uh, interesting. It, it seems like they're definitely drawing on kind of like kung fu movies from the 70s and stuff, like because Black Lightning's got the big old collar and the, oh, like the black giant exploitation mask. films. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited to see that. Uh, but yeah, they they announced a whole series. They have like the Flash and Speed Buggy, um, Aquaman and Jabberjaw. Uh, I mean, like so many Super Sons and Dynamut. I love it when they can do bizarre things like this and make it actually work. Right? That was my favorite thing about Batman and Elmer Fudd is like, holy shit, this book is really good, you know? But like, it's but Batman I have no reason Fudd. to be good. No yeah. reason at all. And I mean, even uh, Sam Humphreys did a, a Legion of Superheroes and Bugs Bunny team up that was super fun as well. Like, it wasn't, 
it wasn't uh, tonally anywhere near Batman and Elmer Fudd. You know, like Batman and Elmer Fudd took it and like made a really serious, like compelling right. story out of it. Yeah. Whereas Bugs Bunny and Lightning or and uh, Legion of Superheroes was just like crazy fun. Um, so I don't know. It was fun. Uh, but anyway, to, to, to kind of finish off the show, there wasn't tons of news this week and, you know, most of the other stuff is meh. Um, but I, I did want to talk a little bit, uh, before we leave about Amazing Spider Talk itself. Um, when, when and how did that come together? How did you guys sort of, uh, put this podcast and, and get it out into the world? Well, sure. So my co-host is this guy, Mark Giannacchio, mm-hmm. um, and he like me had been collecting amazing Spider-Man comics okay. his entire life and going for the complete collection. Mm-hmm. And, um, he started this blog called chasing amazing, um, uh, about his kind of quest to, um, you know, get all these books and the history and memories tied with every issue that he had bought. And, mm-hmm. and I was reading his blog and commenting all the time, mostly trolling him whenever I had the opportunity to, <laughs> Uh, constantly bringing up Stegron and trying to get him to do books about Stegron. Do you know who Stegron I is? I don't know who Stegron is. He's Stegron the Dinosaur Man. He is a half Stegosaurus, half man, who huh. is intent on ruling <laughs> dinosaurs, ruling the Earth in the Marvel Universe. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, we did recently did a holiday episode about uh, Stegron because one of the first holiday issues of Amazing Spider-Man was one where Stegron reanimates the dinosaurs in the Natural History Museum to take over New York City and so and he's foiled by the snow, which cools his cold Stegron the Dinosaur Man heart. Um, so good, yeah. I'm lo- I'm looking at some some art of him. I, I vaguely recognize this character. I mean, he looks amazing. like a Stegosaurus that stood up on hind legs. This is this is a character that I'm sure Matt loves. Uh, he's his two big things are Spider Man and dinosaurs. Oh, there you go. And so yeah, yeah. So um, I would constantly troll him about how I thought the best issue of. Uh, of Spider-Man where it was uh, anything involving Stegron. <laughs> um, and I had been doing podcasts here and there. I, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of film critics shows. Mm. Um, but I, none of them had taken off in the way that I wanted them to. And I thought, yeah, you know, there's so many film shows out there that, uh, you know, how do you really make a, yeah. a name for yourself in that realm? And I was like, well, you know, I collect all these comics. Why am I not doing something about, you know, this journey that I'm on? Yeah. And um, there was, there's been a bunch of other Spider-Man podcasts and Spider-Man fan sites, but I felt like they were all really approached it from this kind of fanboy perspective that was like the angry fanboy, mm. where it was kind of um, uh, they felt like they had a kind of undue ownership over the character and be, had become like combative with the creators, namely Dan Slott and oh, Stephen yeah. Wacker at the time. And I thought, God, there's just got to be a better way to do this. So that not that you want to curtail to the creators, but you want it to be an open place where people feel comfortable sharing yeah. and without the kind of like hatred that comes their direction. Because none of these guys want to create bad books. No. You know, they Nobody just sets out to do they're that. yeah, they're they're bringing their passion, you know, to it on whatever level they can. And I think that their story is worth hearing. Totally. Um and their passion worth sharing in. And so I um you know, I thought Mark's blog was super positive and very, you know, he can be a little finicky about some things. Um, but, and I don't think he would disagree with me about mm. that. He, he wrote like a thing before Superior that like maybe he was going to stop collecting now that Amazing Spider-Man had ended. You yeah. know, and it's like, and then we got Superior, which was fabulous. Course, yeah. You know, um, and so Superior Spider-Man was going on and I'm, I was so into that comic. Yeah. 
you know, I felt like I couldn't get enough information about it. And there was no real good discussion being had mm-hmm. about that comic. You know, it was there was a lot of people getting really upset. Like, how could you kill Spider-Man and saying Dan Slott death threats? And mm-hmm. I was like. You know what? There just needs to be a place for people championing their love of this and their love of Spider-Man, who, like people who love this, who also have you know been reading Spider-Man for a yeah. long time. So I reached out to Mark and I was like, "Hey, you don't really know me as Ad- from Adam. I'm the Stegron guy, yeah. and um, you know, uh, I've done these podcasts before. Why don't you give one of them a listen and think, you know, you know what? What about doing a podcast and in really engaging your fans in a different way? Yeah, you know." And uh, he like wrote. I sent him like a, a review of um, the Dark Knight Rises that I did on my show, yeah. where both the me and the other host really liked that movie a lot more than I think most people. Okay. And my co-host was at the time was kind of pretentious about it. He was like, "If people don't like this movie, I just don't understand them." You know, like it was very like blame yeah. the viewer versus yeah. you know. And uh, and he wrote back to me and he's like, I don't really know. I don't really agree with you guys about this movie. <laughs> like, I don't know that you and I would really kind of get on. And I was like, just give it a shot. Can we do one episode and see how it goes? Yeah. So I like really want because you know, I thought his voice was so incredible. His writing voice. I didn't really know, you know, what he would be like on the radio. But so we met up. We did a test episode and. I released it, or well, we did that, and we're like, you know what? That actually was really fun. Let's record a, record a few more, and like, I'm sure you know, yeah. you want to have a bunch ready to go when you start, so you can kind of goose the yeah, exactly the algorithm. And so I kind of took all the things I've learned about podcasting through the years and put it into this. I had like links that are built into the show, so you can hear a noise, and then it will link will appear on your screen, yeah. and you can click on it. All of our podcasts to date have images in it because I'm like, there's nothing worse than talking about a visual medium without visuals. So yeah. as you watch it on your iPod player, it changes the image to based on what we're talking about. That's so I cool. was like, okay, I'll be like really high end. We'll see what it does. And it turns out when he put it on his blog, a bunch of Marvel editorial and stuff and, and creators read his blog. Yeah. So overnight we had like 1500 listeners. Wow. And it was like, whoa, uh, there's an yeah. actual audience for this. And then with, like the next three episodes were like, an interview with Mark Bagley, with Tom DeFalco, wow. with, you know, some really big people. Yeah. And it was like, okay, we're really going here. And I remember Mark said to me when he started, he said, if I'm doing this in five years, something will have really gone wrong. <laughs> uh, you know, like, I really, like, you're bringing me into this, but, like, I don't really think I'll be in this for a very long time. And here we are five years later, and we're, there's no That's signs funny. of stopping. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of taken off, you know. Uh, it started as Superior Spider Talk because yeah. we thought – we couldn't possibly be doing this for that long. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, we're like, well, we really have a branding problem going on here because yeah. nobody's talking about Superior anymore. <laughs> um, and so now we're Amazing Spider Talk. And we've changed our format here and there. Like, we kind of got sick of talking about Dan Slot comics every yeah. week where we were, like, not super in love with it. And yeah. um, uh, so we've kind of changed up our format and, and tried a bunch of different things. And we really think it's going well right now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's been really exciting. I've met, like, all of my childhood uh, heroes. That's really cool. Mark got a book deal. Wow. And put out a book, uh, 101, 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, that was really exciting for us. And, you know, it's just been kind of, I'm sure you know, like an entry point into, mm-hmm. I'm now on a first-name basis with, like, everybody yeah. involved in Spider-Man past, present, and future. Yeah. And, um 
So it's been it's been tremendously exciting. I yeah. just showed you around my apartment. Yeah, you've got with all awesome my Spider Man artwork. Yeah. You, you have you have like he has a wall uh, in his office that's that's all artwork from Spider-Man artists. The one thing that wasn't uh, Spider-Man art was a page from Invincible, but Ryan Otley went ahead and corrected that for you. Yeah, now he, no, now I, I, I'm telling you what, like that announcement was like, had they been reading my letters, you know? <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, you know, uh, it's been a lot of fun, and you know, it's funny because like you start off this with a total stranger, yeah, and then like Mark is now like my, like he lives in New York. Mm-hmm. Which makes scheduling difficult, but yep. like uh, he's now like my best friend. I talk to him more than anybody else, yeah. other than my wife. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it feels like I talk to him more than I do my yeah. wife because I'm editing for so long. But um, he was, you know, uh, in my wedding, yeah. You, you know, and it's like who would have thought this random That's guy? Crazy. But now, yeah. you know, we've met maybe five times in person, but wow. we, we, you know, yeah, we're very close. So That's fortunate, been... man, because I fucking hate my co-host. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Matt and Rachel are the best. Uh, are, are you proposing something right now? <laughs> uh, no, but uh, uh, it's it's been a hell of a journey, and yeah. um, you know, it gets tiring after a while. Yeah, you know, I'm we're two hundred plus episodes deep, and. But you know, uh, it's it's kept alive by our friendship, and I think that's why people tune in. They yeah. like hearing about Spider Man, but they like hearing Dan and Mark and their friendship. Yeah, I think maybe a little more. But I don't know. Maybe maybe they hate us, and they're like, "Well, if like, I get well, to get Spider Man somewhere, Sp- yeah, exactly." Yeah. And we're not going to go to Scott Corelli's dumb show. We're going to go Spider Man minute. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Scott. I love you. I was also on Spider Man. Yeah, minute, you were. So yeah. I, 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 there we go. I think you're on. Um, I, I feel like. We, I think our episodes on Spider-Man Minute immediately preceded each other. Oh, I think is that, that you true? were on either the week before or the week after I was with uh, with Matt and Rachel. That's so funny. Um, yeah, Scott, Scott's a good guy. He's all right. <laughs> I hate Scott. I hate him so much. But no, Scott, Scott's great. Scott's okay, great. great. Well, um, that was a long answer to your short question. <laughs> no, it's good. I like but, it. But, um, you know, like podcasts they, you know, that, that work and last beyond 100 episodes are a rare thing. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. <laughs> we're, we're, this is episode 152, I think, for our oh, show. Oh, look at you guys look go. Look at us go. Um, but yeah, it's, and there's definitely been like a lot of things that we've sort of, you know, we get to certain points where we're like, all right, it's, you know, kind of time to like change it up a little bit, you know, kind of introduce some new format stuff. And so... Um, we got to get this Dan Gavazdan guy on gotta the show. We've got to get the, the Gavaz. He'll be the spark. Yeah, that, he'll be the spark that ignites it. Yeah. The, the, what, what do they say in uh, Rogue Jedi? One? Last Jedi? Yeah, or, yeah, or Last <laughs> Jedi. They're like the spark that ignites the fire that burns the First Order down. Yeah. It's like a really unwieldy phrase. Yeah, like, but that's Star Wars for you, though. Just yeah. a series of unwieldy phrases <laughs> strung together. Um, are you okay? So so in, in sort of talking about the present landscape of Spider-Man, to kind of finish it off... Uh, the the Chip Zdarsky, uh, Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider. Sure. How, what's what's your take on that book? Uh, I'm mixed on it. I thought the first three issues were really rocky. Mm-hmm. Like it was clearly a guy that was like trying to feel his way into Spider Man. Mm-hmm. I thought there were too many plot lines going on. There was this whole thing with Spider Man dating this like stand up comedian that was kind of abandoned. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought Peter was a little too jokey. It really felt like a mm. Chip Zdarsky like book. Yeah. And I think he's really settled into finding Spider-Man's voice. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because, you know, Spider-Man has long been it, – it, it, there's never really been a run on the book that was like a, a Brubaker run, like yeah. in Captain America, where it's one really long story that's broken down into like really small chapters. Yeah. There's never really been something like that. Spider-Man's always been about like micro stories with lingering elements throughout. Yeah. Um, and his story is very much the opposite. It's like we're like nine issues deep and it's still the same 
story with no real signs of deviating from yeah. that. And I'm mixed on how, I, like, what I think about that. Um, I thought issue six was fabulous. You read issue six? I haven't read issue six. It's no. definitely the best issue of the bunch. Spoilers for that issue. Um, it's the issue where Spider-Man reveals his identity to J. Jonah Jameson. Oh, I saw I saw a screen grab from that, but I haven't read it yet. That's it's really good, kind of out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, a, a very well ri- written issue in of itself. We did a whole episode about. That because it's a huge change, yeah. And that reveal came the week that we did an episode all about J. Jonah Jameson. Oh, so that's it was perfect like timing. Kind of interesting. Yeah, it's been weird because our show has like weirdly su- totally sunk up with what's going on in the comic without yeah. our intention to it. Huh. Um, we have a, a phone mail line for our show that's nine Red Goblin. Nice. And then they brought the Red Goblin into the comic six months later. Huh. So, like, there's a lot of things we mention on the show that then find their way into the comics. Yeah. And we're like, uh, is somebody listening to us? Yeah. Uh, perhaps. Um, I don't want to take credit for that, but it's just, there's a lot of weird yeah, circumstances. synchronicity, yeah. So back to his stuff. I think it's been interesting. I don't love that like, we're doing like whatever, like a 12-issue arc where the mm. villain is the tinkerer. Yeah. I just don't really think the tinkerer can <laughs> can withstand that kind of scrutiny. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought Kubert's art was really weak to start, but mm. um, they found a new anchor, I think, this past issue. Mm. And it was incredible. And yeah. I was like, okay, now Kubert looks as good as I think Kubert can look. Yeah. They, inker, inkers can change so much about an artist. I mean, yeah. there's been over in, in DC land, uh, there's an artist called Clay Man who's kind of like coming up and, and doing a lot more like big stuff for DC. And it's like when his when his twin brother Seth inks him, he looks like the second coming of Jim Lee, but like more modern. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then like they had, they had one fill-in where like I think one of Greg Capullo's uh, inkers was inking him. Yeah. And also they didn't have Jordy Belair coloring him for that issue, which, you know, sure. kind of sacrifices a lot. Uh, but it, it's like, he looked like a completely different artist. He looked in that issue, looked like some random house style guy that they pulled in. Interesting. And then in other arts, you know, in other stories, you're like, holy shit, like this guy is amazing. And so it's, it's one of those things where it just like shows how much difference the right inker can make and not necessarily a good or bad inker. It's just the inker that's the right fit for this artist or that artist. Cause I'm pretty sure it was a guy who inks great Capullo, and it's like obviously Capullo's art looks amazing inked right. by that guy, you know. But, um, but yeah, that that is an interesting observation. I don't think I've gotten, uh, yeah, I haven't gotten that far. I think I've only read the first three issues, and so I'll be interested to see like when I get to that. To yeah, issue I mean, six. you you there's things in those first three issues that really like wrinkled me the wrong way, mm. like. Spider-Man goes to like Riru Williams' house, who's mm-hmm. like the new Iron Man, and he's like, "Can I get your autograph?" Yeah. And I'm like, "In no universe should Spider-Man be asking for Riri Williams' autograph." Yeah. Like, Riri Williams asks for Spider-Man's autograph. Mm. Like, he's the you know one of the solid Avengers characters. Mm-hmm. You know, like or not even Avengers, but like solid Marvel universe characters from 1963. Mm-hmm. You know, like in no way should like this teenager be. Signing things for Spider-Man, you know? Isn't she, like, a girl genius, though, Riri Williams? Yeah, but it doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> it, it, it vastly undersells Spider-Man as a hero in the Marvel mm-hmm. Universe, you know? Mm-hmm. This guy has gone with the Avengers and, like, single-handedly defeated Thanos, mm-hmm. you know? Like, he turned him to stone in a comic. But that that is know? kind of Spider-Man's character, though, is, like, this this person who does not see himself as largely as other people do. It, it's totally fair, but, like... At the same time, yeah. it's 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 weird. It's weird. It's weird writing. I hear like, you. I hear know, you. As 
I've never seen Spider-Man written yeah. like that way, you know, as yeah. like this kind of, he's hung out with Iron Man for hundreds of issues, of course. you know, like, I don't think that he would like fangirl yeah, out be that. about a teenage, that smart teenage yeah, girl, yeah. you know, yeah. um, like he's been to Asgard and hung out with Thor, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, uh, anyway, it, 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 it read as kind of like a guy who was a little over eager to yeah, like rewriting this character yeah. and, and be, and working with these other people. And I was like, Oh boy, chip. I don't know if this book is going to be like, you know, cause I like chips, other stuff, but it has a very particular flair. Like his, yeah. uh, Howard, the duck was very funny and very self-reverential and, yeah. and those kind of smarts are great in that book, but they don't translate to Spider-Man's humor. Mm-hmm. And so I thought like reading the first few issues, I was like, Oh boy, this is like Howard, the duck. Yeah. But with Spider-Man, and that's not a good fit. But mm-hmm. he's really settled into it, even if his stuff is kind of bizarre and outlandish. Maybe a little too much for my likes. Mm-hmm. Like the t- later on, the Tinkerer like is like hiding in robot shells of other people's bodies, and it's like, okay, <laughs> like this is fine, but like, uh, can we move on? I'm so bored of the Tinkerer. Okay, but you gotcha. Anyway, long long answer to another short question. <laughs> it's okay. That's that's the entire medium of podcast. That's that's the that's the theme of your show. It's long answers to short questions. Exactly. It's it's on our album artwork. Um, the uh, so the the other thing, do you so you said you read like all the Marvel books, basically? Sure. Um, is the 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 regular Spider Man title with Miles Morales is is going still right or? Did they yeah, I don't okay. know. They haven't really announced what's happening when Bendis leaves with yeah. the title, and there's kind of this like uh, identity crisis going on in that book where Miles is like, maybe I don't want to be Spider Man anymore. Interesting. And he's getting new powers that are randomly manifesting out of nowhere. Huh. Um, I don't know how caught up you are. I'm not. Oh yeah, he's yeah. got this like thing where he can draw ropes with his hands that are like glowy venom ropes. I don't know how to describe it. I think that book is one of the biggest messes that Marvel's printing. Interesting. Um, I think one of their worst books they're printing right now. But uh, it it, it is the most phoned in book from Bendis. You can kind of feel Bendis. Oh my God. He, he, and he also, he had like those health struggles and stuff like that. Sure. Probably. But I'm just surprised the letterer isn't lettering the sound of the door slamming on the way out oh, yeah. in every book because yeah. it just feels that way. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but uh, so I don't know. I mean, I hope they get an exciting voice in that book. I've never really liked Miles as a character. Really? He just he he's never been fully fleshed out to my mind. I mm. still don't really have an idea of why he does what he does, what mm. propels him as a character. Mm. It's been. I feel like he's just rocketed from event to event, and Bendis has never really been able to like put his foot down on like who this guy is. Yeah. So I'm, you know, there was a Miles Morales novel that was released um, that was a New York Times bestseller wow. earlier in the year that was beautifully written mm-hmm. and really like got to the heart of like what makes a Miles Morales character really tick. Yeah. And I'm like, man. If a writer can write that well in a novel, like, yeah. get this guy to write this comic. Yeah, that's, that's what I was about to say. Is like get that guy to take over for. Yeah, for so I'll be curious. There's a, there's a lot of rumors that he's going to be renamed Spy D, and he'll become like an undercover spy character. Weird, because his father was in Shield, and there's yeah. this whole plot right now where Cable is trying to recruit him as a spy. Huh. And in the cartoon show, his name is. He gets called Spy D. I forget what show it was. And another one, he's named Kid Arachnid. And both of them are terrible names. Yeah. Um, I don't like that. But, you know, we'll see where it goes. Huh. Um, That's interesting. 
Yeah. And are you re- so let's see. The only other Spider title then is Spider Gwen, or is there another? There's one? a bunch. There's Spider Gwen, Spider Man, Deadpool. Oh yeah. Um, I liked what I read of that book. The first, at least the first couple issues. Yeah, it's uh, when it was under Joe Kelly's pen, it was really mm. good. But that book was definitely dogged by having like fill in creators uh, every other issue, that and sucks. It, it just really killed the momentum yeah. on it for a while. But Joe Kelly is uh, fabulous. Um, the other one, there was Silk and stuff, but now there's mm-hmm. Scarlet Spider, which is about like Ben Riley, who's back from oh, the dead. Oh, yeah. Is that book uh, any good? Peter David is writing it. I think it's a mess, mm. but um, some people really love it. It's been a while since Peter David has written anything that's like really solid. I, I agree, like but his original books sell really well. Yeah. Um, the 2099 book sold like better than it ever I'm sure. imagined, imagined it would. Um. I think it's a lot of people have nostalgia for like '90s stuff, yeah. Or what I consider like '90s garbage, like the Slingers. Do you know the Slingers? <laughs> I don't know the Slingers. They're a team of people that like. There's this like identity crisis arc in Spider-Man where like in order okay. to hide his like you know be his Spider-Man persona was so looked down on mm. that he created these four other superhero personas that he would dress up as. Mm. And go and fight things like nobody's dictating that he wear a Spider-Man costume. Yeah. So he would just wear other people's costumes and yeah. be that hero. Okay. Um, and so eventually a bunch of people were like, hey, we really like these characters or these costumes. So they, it was like a team of four people that dressed up in the costumes that Spider-Man used to dress up in. Huh. And they're really dumb. I'm gonna, <laughs> like, But people love them. Yeah. And they're back now in the Scarlet Spider book. And people like write to me constantly. Oh man, Scarlet Spider is so good. I can't believe the Slingers are back. Yeah. And I'm like, you're the only like I would say you're the only one, except I get dozens of letters about it. And yeah, I'm like, this yeah. book is garbage. But like <laughs> people like must have some nostalgia for these things. Yeah. I don't know. That's funny. Um, all right, we'll we'll run through a, a few quick real questions here, like a lightning round for you. I'm curious okay, about right. Spider Man stuff. I'm prepped, sure. Who's your favorite favorite Spider Man artist of all time? Oh gosh, that's tough because there's like a killer row. Um I guess John Romita Sr., just to be safe. But um, I don't know. If I'm going to go with something a little more modern, I'd say like Marcos Martin. Okay. He's only done a handful of issues, but they're like gorgeous and amazing. And anybody who's read any of his books knows he's incredible. He's awesome. I'm assuming you read The Private Eye. Yeah. I mean, but Marcos Martin to me is like the heir apparent to Steve Ditko. Mm. And like the first time the character really returned to that kind of Steve Ditko feel for Mm -hmm. me and forever because I feel like everybody emulates John Romita Sr., yeah. which is great. He's my favorite, you know, but, um, you know, something about Dicko and, and Marcus Martin, they really bring back the kind of creepiness to the character yeah, that I... Yeah, absolutely. I didn't realize I was missing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Stuart Eminent is killing it <laughs> uh, right now. Yeah. And we're in the middle of it, so I could say Stuart Eminent, but... Um, Got to see how he Those guys and John Romita Jr. Gotcha. John, John Romita Jr., has drew for my favorite run mm. on the book. Mm-hmm. And I think he was paired with a great writer and uh I don't know. There's there's too many. Too many good oh, yeah. ones. To, well to this, really this one might again. this one might still be uh just as difficult, especially for a guy that runs a Spider Man podcast and sure. talks to Spider Man creators. Uh favorite Spider Man writer. It's gotta be Stan Lee. Okay. Oh yeah. I mean Roger Stern has some of the best writing in his run and JMS, the first when he's paired with JRJR, yeah. his run is amazing. But Stanley, everything. I mean, if you want to credit him as the writer on half the books that he wrote, yeah, yeah. so to speak. I know it's a not a visual medium, but I was doing air quotes. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. There's, um, there's definitely a uh, yeah. There's there's a lot of 
controversy on what exactly he did contribute and what he didn't. Yeah, yeah. I, I know. Look, I know that Steve Ditko wrote yeah. basically most of the stuff that yeah. he drew on, but, but the totally. John Romita Senior stuff is Stanley through and through. You can see his blueprint everywhere, and yeah. his stuff is the most fun. Yeah, well, and yeah, I mean, whatever whatever percentage of contribution you think Stanley had on the stuff that he created, that stuff wouldn't be the same without Stan. Like that's that is you know. Uh, yeah. It is a fact, regardless of where you stand on the spectrum, whether you love him or hate him. You know, Kirby Kirby was helped by by the presence of Stanley. Ditko was helped by the presence of Stanley. Ramita, like he did, have a, a huge fingerprint on those books. Well, people read it for Stanley, right? They wanted yeah. that familiar voice, and and Stanley made it feel like a club, like a you know that you could be a part of. Totally. And so he he was the best marketer in comics, and he also, I mean, his dialogue at the time too. Stanley's dialogue was unparalleled. Oh, really great. Um, if I. I would say Brian Michael Bendis, if, if Ultimate counts. Mm. It's my favorite on, like long-running Spider-Man series. Mm-hmm. I think up until Peter's death, that book... And Miles has some interesting stuff. But I think up until Peter's death... And there's some rocky stuff in there. It's like consistently the best written okay. Spider-Man thing. Yeah. But it owes so much to 2020 hindsight that like Stan Lee gets the win for me because gotcha. he invented this stuff yeah. wholesale. Yeah. Uh, favorite Spider-Man arc? Um... It's, it's it's either um this is really tough. It's either the Master Planner uh-huh. uh story um or which is Amazing Spider-Man 31 to 33. Okay. Or it's um the uh Coming Home arc when JMS took over the book which is Amazing Spider-Man volume 2 number 30 to 35 I okay. believe um which is followed by the 9/11 issue. Mm-hmm. Um that's the introduction of Moreland. If anybody asks me, like, like I want to read a modern Spider-Man story to get me into Spider-Man, that's what I give them. Okay. It, it is, it's everything you could want in a Spider-Man story, and uh, the artwork's incredible. And um, I don't know, man. And that's so, that's which issues again? It's like volume two, issues thirty to thirty-five. Okay. Um, I'm check those out. If there's a trade, it's like uh, on the cover. It's got Spider-Man. On a black background, bursting through a web, mm. and it says "Volume One" on the side of it. Gotcha. Um, it's just the first JMS, yeah, uh, JMS. Uh, story. I I can't recommend it enough, especially uh-huh. if you're like, "Hey, where do I start?" Because then it's followed by JMS's run, which is just incredible. I've heard Matt Matt will never shut up about JMS's run. He yeah, you haven't time. read it. You, haven't read you it. owe yourself to read it. It's okay. so good. Maybe that's maybe that's um, where I'll go. Maybe that's where I finally take the deep dive into. Uh, into Spider-Man because I, I I read like standalone stories a lot like Spider-Man Blue is one of my favorites. Um, oh yeah, stuff like that. You know that's that's been my biggest exposure to Spider-Man is like those random arcs like that that I'm like okay I'll dip in and read that. Well, you should check out our Essentials run on the podcast. Yeah, I should it'll give you a bunch of these. We don't discuss coming home on the Essentials because we did an issue by issue breakdown of that okay. series elsewhere on the podcast. So gotcha. you can still get like more talk about that book yeah. than you could ever possibly want. Right on. Uh, so there you go. Well, there we go. I think, I think that uh, does us for this episode. Dan, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah. Um, well, of course you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at sup spider talk. Nice. And um, that's where you'll find all my Spider-Man musings and links to the show and, Stuff like that. I also run superiorspidertalk.com, which mm-hmm. is my Spider-Man blog. 
um, which still bears the unfortunate uh, <laughs> branding of was, the Superior era. Was the other uh, was the other domain not available? Or? No, it is. I just have to make the switch, but it's actually where I host the podcast. Uh, oh yeah, and that stuff's a nightmare. Not to get into the nitty gritty of it all, but like there I was a you. while where po- iTunes was not taking HTTPS sites. Mm-hmm. Anyway. There's I a whole you. complicated behind-the-scenes... I had to go through that. Uh, we, we switched domains for our podcast uh, after, like, our first 50 episodes or something, and it was... Right, annoying. so now I'm stuck with superiorspidertalk.com as my blog, but it's okay, because you all heard me say about it now. Yeah. Uh, that's you could, that. even, you could even forward Amazing Spider Talk to Superior Talk if you really wanted to. It's true. I probably should. Especially now that we've said it. Yeah. I could bleep all this out if I wanted to. No, no. You know what? We'll, we'll see. Maybe I'll do that this weekend. <laughs> um, but yeah, so SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And uh, you can follow my personal Twitter account at, at @DanGavazdan On Twitter, that's like all my other nerdy musings. Like nice. I need to like parse them out for some reason. <laughs> um, I also uh, um, write a lot of film reviews, mm. um, which you can just like see on that handle um i write for like the hollywood reporter and things like i said earlier yeah no no big um, deal no no big deal i i did a really big you may have read a star wars article that i wrote yep. um a while back it's a good article oh you read it i did read it oh yeah oh yeah um i said star the star wars uh new star wars trilogy is failing galactic politics 101 and that blew up and was the biggest article in the Hollywood Reporter for that month. So there you go. You look know, at you. Uh, uh, you look at big, me. Big time, Dan. You over gave here. me an opportunity to brag. So of here course, I am. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, check out all those places. Um, I'd love for you to come subscribe to our show, The Amazing Spider Talk. Do it. Dig through our archives, and you know we're only in season two of our new format, so it's a great time to jump on board. Yeah. And get caught up. And if you don't know anything about Spider Man. We're really walking you through it, so it's a it's a good time to join us. Love it, love it, and uh, we we will for sure need to have you on the show at some point in the future. I, I've thought about doing like a a full blown Spider Man episode with like you and Scott Corelli and Matt, uh, and maybe if we could pull other, any other Spider Man fans out there on and just have a big old big old spider smorgasbord. Uh, and then it would become some like some weird suicide pact or something. Probably, like that. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it would end up there. Um, but yeah, thanks for joining the show. Uh, listeners, you can find our show at Savage Land Pod on Twitter, at Savage Land Podcast um, on everything else. Um, you can find my articles in Panel by Panel magazine. You can go to panelxpanel.com and find those. I have a piece with Robert Kirkman coming up in... Oh. See. Yeah. Uh, we didn't get to talk about Oblivion Song or, or Invincible. What did you, you think of Oblivion Song? I thought it was a really solid start. Me too. Yeah. like it's, It didn't rock the boat, but I'm like... I totally understand all, how everything in this works, and that's all I could ask for in totally. the first issue. Yeah, I, I got the first issue and then uh, was fortunate enough to, to go to a Q&A with him and Jason Manzukis. Oh, yeah? Um, out in Santa Monica, and, and that was where I started talking to him, and I, I, I was just like, hey, would you be down to do an interview for Panel by Panel? And he's like, yeah, sure. I, I imagine if it's anything like Invincible, 10 issues from now, it'll be a completely different series totally. and, and well, unrecognizable. That's what he was so. saying, too. He, he was like, he was like, we plan on like every arc kind of having the series go in a completely different direction Great. and stuff. And I'm like, Can't wait. Sick. Um, yeah, I'm excited for that. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, you can find all that stuff. Um, panel by panel or panelxpanel.com is where you can find that magazine. It's a great magazine. You should make sure to check it out. Um, and yeah, that might be cool.com. You can find our other podcasts like uh, the Runaways podcast where myself, Scott Corelli, and Cass Fredrickson talk about the Runaways every episode. Um, and you can find Elsewhere Presents Sonic the Podcast just for fans, which is uh, chronicling the life of a man who is slowly being driven insane by Sonic fever or Sonic Syndrome, one of the two. 
uh, Sonic the Hedgehog slowly overtakes his mind and becomes uh, in, intrinsically intertwined in everything he does. We've all got friends like this. Yeah. and uh, just got blue hedgehog mania. Yeah. Ruins, ruins all his relationships. He's, he's now been married and divorced three separate times on the show. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a whole thing. Yeah. It's all, I mean, it's all fake. Oh. Yeah. It's, it's a narrative. It's, I, well, it's, it's well, like, I, I it's like get, a performance I get, art. I get that, but, but I think that these people do exist. Oh, they do, for sure. And that's, that's kind of the, the motive behind a lot of this is like it's, it's sort of a response to the weird Sonic fandom that's popped up the last few years. Uh, oh, interesting. It's a fun podcast. Um, definitely listen to it if you like some laughs. Um, understand that there, there's a warning at the beginning of the show. Nothing you are about to hear is real, uh, and that could not be more true. Um, if, if you keep that in mind, it's easy. It's a hard show to like pitch. Because you listen to it and you're like, what the fuck are these people talking about? Because they talk about Sonic stuff that doesn't exist. Nothing in the show ever exists. Like, it's all completely fake and made up. They talk about games that don't exist and, and characters that don't exist. Big the Cat. They talk about all sorts of stuff. There's like I a character. I just want a podcast thing. all about Big the Cat. About Big the Cat. We yeah. should do it. Um, anyway, check all that stuff out. That might be cool.com. Check out Dan's stuff, superiorspidertalk.com. Um, and uh, that should be it for this week. Leave your ratings and reviews on iTunes. Send your letters to letters at savagelandpodcast.com. And leave us a voicemail, 413-SAVAGE-4. And that's, uh, that's it. We hope you've uh, enjoyed your time in the Savage Land. Can I make like a Sauron sound as we're leaving? Please. Caca! cool.com You never know I thought you were going to go with like a No, no. I imagine Sauron's more like a bird. He's just, just kind of go- he's just kind of goofy, yeah.